You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Welcome! Cookie Monster here, my friend Big Bird. That felt like a fat joke, that. (laughs) I wouldn't know why. Hey, good morning, everybody. (laughs) That also felt like a fat joke, that. Two for two. Should we try again? No. Nope. Uh, hey, for those of you that have been around for a while, uh, you're getting to know Tom and I fairly well. And uh, you don't get to see Tom's uh, fun personality as much because he's in serious worship mode when he's up here. But he's a, he's a middle schooler at heart. Um, and so we get along really well. And so we apologize in advance for anything that we say that we shouldn't. Uh, we promise no potty humor. Right. And that's about it. That's about it. Yeah. It was Aaron's idea to put us together. That's all I got to say. So, uh, all that uh, aside, we are starting a new series this week uh, about worship. And so, um, one of the things I want to say right up front when we're talking about worship is there is a lot of different ways to worship uh, in addition to singing, and there's a lot of other venues for worship besides just church on Sunday when we come together. But in the context of a lot of what we're going to talk about, um, the heart of it is going to be us coming together to worship as a, as a group, as a family. And so just to kind of help you understand that, it, it, if we talk about things, I don't want somebody getting hung up going like, that's not the only way. We acknowledge that up front. We're just going to talk a little bit about um, how we can grow as a group and our understanding of worship, all right? Um, now, if I was to go around and ask everybody in here uh, a candid question, and it was safe to give me the real truth, like maybe even anonymous, and I said, why do we worship? I would probably get a lot of different answers, and a lot of the answers would be uh, maybe really honest, maybe wrong, maybe accurate. They could be all over the map. They could be excuses. They could be supported by biblical background and data, right? There'd be all kinds of different responses. But one thing I would venture to bet is that everybody's response would have a lot to do with your personal background, like how you grew up how you were raised, um, what you learned uh, as a young person growing up. It would also probably have a lot to do with just your personality in general, right? Like when you think about why do we worship, some people are just natural worshipers, even uh, without understanding what it's all about. So how you would answer that would have a lot to do with those things. Um, I know for me personally, my understanding of worship was shaped a lot by my background, and it's changed a lot over the years, um, because early on, uh, I really did not understand worship at all. And so, uh, for a lot of you know that I did not grow up in church um, I was raised by a single mom, and she was a hard-working mom, full-time school teacher, and so I was on my own a lot. Um, not worship at all, but music was really not even a part of our house growing up. It just wasn't something, you know, some people, my wife grew up, there was music on all the time. That just wasn't the case in my house, and so not even really worship was never, worship, 
music was never really even a big deal um, for me growing up. And then fast forward into my 20s, um, my wife and I are newly married and really wanting to figure out how to follow Jesus. Like we knew that we wanted to follow the Lord and, and God was doing some really cool things in our marriage early on, but we had no idea how to actually figure that out. Like, where do you even find Jesus, much less get to know him better? And so I did something crazy. I went into my kitchen, and I opened up the junk drawer, and I pulled out this huge book, and I put it up on the counter, and it was a book that they used to put phone numbers in. (laughs) You guys have probably seen them in movies, back before they had color right? I, I literally did this. It's sort of funny, but it's really true. I grabbed a phone book and I opened it up to the yellow pages under the heading church. <coughs> and again, as you guys are getting to know me a little bit more, I'm a North Idaho guy. I'm pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty plain. I'm like a eat peanut butter and jelly every day the rest of my life, simple guy. And so I'm looking through church ads and there's these fancy ads and there's all this, you know, features and benefits of the church and all their, you know, kind of look like a sales pitch for a church in a phone book. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't click with me at all. And I kept going down and doing it. And I saw one that said, Church of Christ. That seems pretty straightforward. Let's call them. And so I did. No idea what I was doing. And I called them up and as God would have it, uh, my wife and I ended up becoming great friends with that pastor and his wife, and it became a place where we kind of cut our teeth learning and growing in the early years of our marriage and in our relationship with the Lord, really. And one of the things that happened is um, I went to church for the first time ever as an adult on purpose, not a wedding, not a funeral. Like I actually went to church to go to church for the first time ever in my life. I was 26 years old. I went into a church of Christ. I sat in a pew and was immediately uncomfortable. I mean, anxiety, stress, sweating, not like uncomfortable, oh, the devil's going to hit a lightning bolt on me. Nothing like that. Like, I just felt so out of my element, not being used to that. And then it went from, I'm really not enjoying myself, to sheer terror when they said, grab the hymnal. I had no idea what they were talking about, nor did I have any idea what it meant, hymn 73, part one and four. And I mean, inside, I am like coming undone with insecurity, anxiety, feeling like everybody's looking at me. Uh, I did not want to be there. And to fight through that and to hang out and to just learn and experience what worship is, that's kind of where I started. Um, Needless to say, uh, my understanding of worship has changed a lot over the years. Um, I still, like Mary said in that video, I still have my moments where I have to battle through my own personal insecurity and anxiety where it just feels uncomfortable to me and I have to push through that and go, yeah, irregardless of that, what do I think about God? And I've grown immensely um, in my understanding of worship. And so our hope and prayer is that as we go through this series 
and we talk about why we worship, our hope is that each and every one of you would really continue to grow and learn in your understanding of worship personally. Um, but not just a thing where at the end of the series you know more about worship, like that'd be nice, but really that you're practicing what you're learning, right? That we are growing in our experience and practice of worship as a church, not just learning more about it, all right? Um, so with that in mind, I want to jump into the first text with everybody this morning. So it's going to be in your notes and it'll be up on the screen. And I'm going to look over Tom's shoulder over here. So it says this in Second Corinthians, <laughs> looking deeply into my eyes. Focus. All right. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience is complete. So Paul's talking about our warfare and how it's... it's not of the flesh and blood type of warfare, that it's a spiritual warfare, and that uh, as we get into this, it's, it's good to understand that worship is one of the ways that we wage war in the spiritual realm. And he says in this passage that, that our warfare, like when we worship, it does two things. It has like divine power, which is kind of a cool description of a weapon. It has divine power to do a couple of things. Yeah, so the first thing that our warfare, which is really anything related to the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, uh, scripture study, and but in particular, these next few weeks, worship. Um, our warfare does work in the spiritual world. Now, in order to <clears throat> grab a hold of that concept, we, we have to come into an agreement that there is a natural world that we can see, touch, taste, feel, smell. Uh, and then there's a spiritual world that operates the, right alongside of, the, of this natural world. And if you have trouble buying that there's a spiritual world, here's what I want you to do. Um, go to the mall in Moscow and spend like five minutes in Hot Topic. And you'll, you'll leave going, why is everyone so angry, right? Um, and if you're like, I love Hot Topic, I'm sorry, but that's, every time I'm there, I'm blown away. So there's something going on in the spiritual world. Uh, and we, Well, here's another way to look at it. In this, in this church, if you're, if you're new with us, uh, we like to view scripture in its context. I feel like that's really important. And so one of the contextual things to keep in mind is that Jesus was a Jew, he was, he was Jewish, and so we have to allow ourselves to th try to think back like a first century Jew when we're looking at scripture, and then see how it applies to our life. So a first century Jew, well, the Western mindset tries to take the spiritual world and physicalize it. We, wanna, we want to um, take that which moves in the spirit and, and bring it into the firm and the natural. Um, whereas an Eastern or, or ancient uh, first century Jewish mindset is going to say something more like every action we take in the physical has a spiritual effect. It affects what's going on um, in the spirit. So what I'm not saying is that there's a, like a, 
demon behind every bush. Or, you know, if you do something wrong, you can say, well, the devil made me do it. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when we worship, it actually has an impact in the spiritual world. Um, and I can attest to this every time we get together. Uh, there's something that just sort of shifts and changes in the atmosphere around us when we begin to worship. We start to take this ground in the heavenly realms. Um, so let's look at a scripture here in Ephesians 6. It says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the second thing that, that this... Uh, that, that warfare that, that's accomplished with worship as warfare is that our warfare helps us to keep our own mind and perspective correct, whether we get delivered from our circumstances or not. It's easy to say, God, I'm just going to worship you, and I know you're going to do something. I know you're going to do something, but sometimes he doesn't do that something. So what worship does is it allows our mindset, our mentality to be um, sort of conformed to the way God is thinking. Um, so I had a friend, his name was Lee. He's a really, really good guy. And uh, he was very sick, extremely sick. And, and so my wife and I decided we were going to go and visit him. Uh, we knew that he was getting close to, to going home, but we figured he had some, still had some good time left. So um, bake him a pie, and we head over to his house. And right when we walked in, you just knew. I mean, you, you open the door, take one step into the entryway. You just knew, uh-oh, something's not right. Um, you know that feeling? So we go in, and there's Lee laying down in his bed, and it's clear that he's moments from um, going home to be with the Lord. And one of the reasons Lee had asked us to come over was to worship with him. And so even though he wasn't responsive or anything, we still, we worshiped. I grabbed his hand, and uh, his wife and his uh, daughter and grandkids and, and son-in-law were there. And uh, we sang, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And uh, shortly after that, he breathed his last. And after he passed, there was just this incredible sense of loss and pain. Even though we knew that Lee, this man of God, was with his maker, that he was home. Even so, it still hurt. Um, but I felt the Lord say, worship. I want you to worship. And I remember thinking, I don't feel like this is the time, <laughs> you know. Read the room, God. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but as we, as, as I obeyed, and as we started to worship, the atmosphere in the room changed. There was no crazy miracle where Lee was raised from the dead or something like that, but, um, Everything shifted, and we, uh, one of the things that was so special was in that moment I knew that when I get to heaven, we're not going to be able to do that. Per I'm not going to be able to give God that particular thing where through pain and in pain, I turn that pain into worship and give it to God. Because in heaven, there's not going to be any of that. So this was such a special and unique offering, and I remember just thinking, God, thank you for your wisdom in this situation, and thank you that worship really changes things. Yeah, that's a cool story. Um, I want to share another story with you that probably a lot of you are familiar with. 
Um, it's from the book of Acts, chapter 16. And what's going on is Paul and many of the other disciples are going around uh, sharing the gospel and, and getting people, um, helping people to learn how to follow Jesus. And, and they're, they're just walking out their faith in a real practical way. And unbeknownst to them, there's another thing going on at the same time. There's a slave girl who had been possessed by a demon and she had this weird ability to be able to tell the fortunes of people. She could tell like their future and stuff that was going to happen with them. And this made her uh, a great deal of money, which made her owners a great deal of money is really what happened. And so um, just as things would have it one day, her path crossed with Paul and the disciples. And when she saw Paul and the disciples, she went berserk like really crazy. Like this girl literally looks at Paul and starts screaming out at him, like these men are servants of the most high God. They're here to show you the way to salvation. And once would get your attention and be like, well, that was random and you keep walking. But then you turn around and she's at it again and again and again. And she's just following them, screaming out, these men are servants of the most high God. And it says in the Bible that it went on for days. Now that you got that picture in your mind, you'll understand this next part because it says in the Bible in a nice Bible-y way that Paul was greatly annoyed Right? I'm pretty sure he was looking for a two by four <laughs> to fix the problem. Instead, it says that Paul was greatly annoyed and he turned around and he shouted at her and the demon in her. He says, in the name of Jesus, get out. And this demon comes out of her and one of Paul's big problems gets solved. She stopped screaming at him. But unfortunately, he created another problem because now she can no longer tell fortunes and make any money, and her owners were not happy about it. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas, and they drug them to the city gates where the court was held, and they make all these false accusations against them and say all of this uh, stuff that Paul and Silas weren't saying, and they try to basically present their case against them. And in no time at all, the court rules against Paul and Silas and in favor of the slave owners. And here's where things go from bad to worse. They're actually ordered to have their robes torn off and to be beaten with wooden sticks. At the end of this beating, the authorities tell the jailer not just to throw them in jail, but they give them some kind of special instructions. Make sure that they're safe in jail, like, like there's no way they can get out. And so the jailer takes them, not just to jail, but to an inner cell in the jail, and then on top of the cell, puts their feet in stocks and locks them up. Now, it's kind of hard to switch gears and put yourself in their shoes because those are some pretty terrible shoes. But I want you to just chew on it for a second. To imagine being falsely accused. I mean, honestly, you can easily stir up the, 
anxiety you feel when someone falsely accuses you on Facebook or misinterprets a text, how quick you can defend yourself and how like that, just that little thing stirs that up. They bring them before men at the city gate and falsely accuse them and then strip their clothes off. Imagine the embarrassment and the humility. Then they're beaten with rods. Just the sheer physical, miserable pain, the helplessness, and then taken to an inner cell in a jail and then locked up on top of it to boot. Hours into that night, you can imagine kind of the spot you would be. Like, what would you be thinking about? What would you be feeling? I want to read with you how this story wraps up because I want us to see what Paul and Silas were up to in the middle of the night. It goes like this. In Acts 16, verses 26, it starts off, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It's a pretty important detail. They weren't just singing quietly under their own breath. They weren't just singing lightly to each other. They were singing to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Like, how loud do you have to sing that the rest of the people in jail can hear you? And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas in the middle of the night after that day were worshiping out loud to God. I'm not trying to twist this passage around and make it say something it doesn't. It's not a magic formula to get out of jail or out of your circumstances. They weren't worshiping with the motive that God would release them somehow. They were just worshiping because it brought them comfort when nothing else could. They were worshiping because it, it gave them a hope in something that was far beyond their physical situation, their physical circumstances. It could light their eyes upon something beyond what they could possibly see. They created an environment that was favorable for God to work. And in this instance, he did. But it doesn't always work out that way. So another real fun <clears throat> passage of scripture is the book of Job. Um, real encouraging and uplifting. Um, no, honestly, it's really great. You should, I'm going to summarize a, a big chunk of scripture here, um, but you really should go and take a look at it. It's beautiful poetry just at at surface level, but when you start to look at what God is doing through this book of the Bible, it's amazing. So this book was, um, a lot of scholars think, the oldest book in the Bible, um, <clears throat> written while the Israelites were in captivity. So this, the, the readers, the original readers of this book would have lived and died as slaves. So then you begin to put that 
into the into your mental picture of what's going on in this story. So it goes something like this. There's this uh, there's this guy, Job, and he is fabulously wealthy. He has every, like, all of the wealth. He has every measure of, of um, like, extravagance, opulence that you could possibly have for his time. Got a great family, great kids. Sounds like from the story that they like to, they like to party. They cut it up a little bit. And um, uh, at the end of every festival is what it's called here, um, it says that Job would make an offering. He would make a burnt offering, a sacrifice on behalf of his kids, just in case they had inadvertently sinned against God. Because Job's number one priority was being in right relationship with God. So it goes on to say that the sons of God, the angels, were, being, were, were assembled and God was you know, getting ready to talk to him or something. And in walks Satan. And... Uh, uh, God says, hey, where'd you come from? I don't think God was surprised, like, wait, what? You know, I think he was asking the question more along the lines of what you've been up to. And Satan says, well, I've been going uh, uh, across the earth, walking back and forth on it. God goes, well, did you see my servant Job? Look at how righteous he is. And, you know, starts to just talk him up, really. And Satan goes, well, yeah. Look, at he's fabulously wealthy. He's got great kids. Um, you know, they're all going to college or whatever. And that's a paraphrase. It's not actually in there, but, um, uh, mess with him a little bit. And then let's see how righteous Job is. And God goes, okay, which is a bummer for Job. Um, so it turns out poorly. So, uh, the story goes on to say that, uh, all, and it all just sort of happened back to back to back. A servant runs in out of breath and says to Job, the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed all of your sheep and, your, and their servants, and I alone survived to tell you. And before he could finish telling the story, another one comes in and tells him about how some other horrendous tragedy. The Chaldeans came and took all of your camels and killed all your servants, and I alone survived to tell you. Before that servant could finish his story, another one comes in and says, your kids were having a party in a house. See what I'm saying? Your kids were having a party in a house, and a wind, a great wind came and blew the walls and the, and the ceiling of the house down, and they were all crushed and killed. And I alone have survived to tell you. So in one fell swoop, boom, everything Job had's gone. And, well, take a look. This is how he responds. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I can't understate, or I can't say enough the importance of worship when we're going through something incredibly hard. When we're going through something really difficult. Part of our church's vocabulary is this idea of worshiping our way through something. And yes, worship helps us to get from one side to the other, but there's this thing that happens along the way where our perspective gets realigned to God's, where worshiping through these difficult circumstances builds within us the strength of character to receive the blessing that's coming. See, at the end of this story, Job received a double portion of the blessing he had before. So he was... Wealthy, wealthy, and then he was insanely wealthy after all of this is done. God restores him and then some. 
And so it's incredible how this relationship with God, this willingness to bow in difficult circumstances and worship, not only got Job through the challenges, but got him ready for the blessing that was to come. See, sometimes worship changes the world around us, and at other times, worship changes the world within us. So with that, we're going to move toward communion. Um, Now here at Real Life, we have what's called an open table. So if you are willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ with us, we welcome you to take communion with us. Um, And as the... As the folks are helping pass out the elements, we're going to go over some implications. So the first implication is this. Sometimes the only thing that will bring us strength is worship. Sometimes if you're just at the end of your rope and uh, you're out of solutions, out of stuff to try, try lifting your hands. Try bowing down. Try giving God an offering of praise and see if it doesn't just change what's going on both inside you and perhaps around you as well. Yeah. Let's take a look at that second one. In the midst of our trials, we don't worship so that God will take the chains away. We worship because God's promises are true regardless of our circumstances. And that means more when we face hard things. Um, Everybody kind of understands the fact that it's easy to, well, depending on who you are, I guess, easier to praise God when things are going great, when things are going awesome and smooth and life is working out. It's easier to offer God praise. When things are rough and you don't understand what's going on is kind of when your character is tested. Like, like do we turn to God and worship like Job in that situation in the hardest of times, do we turn to God and worship when we see no hope or think nothing could possibly change like Paul and Silas? Or are we just quick to sing a good song when things are good? Mm. Stuff to chew on. Yeah. Last implication is this. Worshiping in the midst of tragedy refines our character for the blessing that waits on the other side. So, you know, I don't want to tell you a cute story about a butterfly and, you know, if you cut it out of its cocoon, it'll never fly, you know. But the fact is that when we go through our difficult circumstances, it absolutely refines and strengthens us when we stay in close relationship with God. And one of the most important elements of close relationship with God in those circumstances is worship. And also bear in mind that as you worship your way through a challenge, remember that this is special. This is something that you're not going to be able to give God when you go to heaven. This is something that's unique to this situation right now, and you can package up what you're feeling and what you're going through and saying, God, I maybe don't understand it, but it's yours. I give this to you as worship. One of the things we do here at Real Life is uh, celebrate communion every weekend together. We want to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And as we talk about worship, the, the reality is that we have a God who is worthy of worship. We have a, a Savior who um, followed the plan to uh, the most horrific of ends out of love for us. And to make a way for us to have a right relationship with him. But not only to restore what sin broke, but also 
to send a helper to be with us. Like we actually get the blessing and the joy and the help of God's spirit walking through life with us. And this morning, as we reflect on these different ideas or these different stories and different things about when people have worshiped and what has happened as a result of worship. I just want to finish this morning just remembering what Jesus did for us. Um, I think probably as an amazing act of worship on our behalf. And so we remember each and every week when we get together that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, as often as we get together, let's eat this and remember to him. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant, which is his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink it and remember to him. Well, we're going to get a chance to practice what we preach today as we wrap up. We're going to get a chance to worship together before we go home. And so let's, um, let's do just that. Let's get beyond ourselves. If it helps you to close your eyes, to just tune out and not worry about what people are looking at or what they're thinking about, to just focus and just have some time with you and God and you get to just sing out the words of this song to worship God. We would love for you to just pour your heart out and worship with us. If you want to pray with somebody, there'll be folks on the sides that'll pray with you. Otherwise, we would love for you to join us in worship. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com. 